0: Good morning. My name is Danielle Morrow, and I'm a member here at Redemption, and I have the honor of reading today's scripture for us this morning. Each week for this series, we've been reading the same passage before the sermon in order to remind us where God's wisdom is found. God's wisdom is found in Christ. I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. of wisdom and knowledge. This is God's word for us today.
1: Thank you, Danielle. Again, good morning, everybody. It's good to be together. And if you would, before we look to God's word this morning, let's go before him in prayer. Father, this series, um, looking at Proverbs and gathering your, your wisdom for our lives has been, I, I hope and I trust, a, a, a great help to us. It often reveals how foolish we typically are in and of ourselves, in our own hearts, God. We pray today that, as that may be the case when it comes to money, that you would meet us, that you would extend us mercy, that you would extend us grace, and that as we are prompted more and more to rely on Christ as if he, tr- as if, He truly is our greatest treasure, Lord, that we would grow in wisdom. We would grow in obedience and faithfulness, particularly in this area of our money. We ask that you would do this now, and we pray all these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, money is a fascinating topic. Uh, Depending on who you talk to, it is either the root of all evil, which is not actually what the Bible says, Uh, Or uh, it is the thing that makes the world go round. Uh, Some people don't like to talk about money at all. It makes them very uncomfortable. Uh, Some people seem like they can't stop talking about money. It's all they can talk about. It seems to be their solution to everything. I remember um, talking with someone about the rise of ISIS a few years ago when this was a big story. And basically they said, look, this is all it's all economics. If they just had the right economy, if they had goods and services, they had enough money. This is just the result of poverty in a difficult place in the world. And I remember I said, you know, I'm not an expert on these types of things, I had to say. But I think there's more to it than that. You know, I really do. Um, Money. Uh, The concept of it even has always fascinated me. It's just really interesting if you think about it. Here's this piece of paper or a coin these days. Even a number in a digital account that represents value. The value of what? No, literally value, (laughs) period, full stop. Money is a way of quantifying how much anything is worth. That is goods, services, properties. Anything, And this is why there is so much to money, so much more to money, I should say, than just dollars and cents. This topic is, is bursting with spiritual significance. And as we consider what the book of Proverbs has to say about money today, I think we're going to see something very simple. Uh, but it's this. How we handle money reveals what we truly value. This is a very simple Biblical teaching of Christ's, even that you're probably even familiar with, is just basically the idea that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, if we have foolish hearts that value foolish things, then it will impact the way we handle our money. Uh, and if we have wise hearts that value the most important things, it will radically change the way we approach our money. And so, with that, concept in mind, what I want us to do is to look together at the Proverbs this morning, and I think as we do, we're going to see four ways that we should handle money, four ways of handling money that reveal a heart of wisdom, okay? And then one way we should never handle money, the, the, the basically the, the reason for most of the foolishness that we experience with money. And so first, we should earn our money With integrity. Now, last week we saw God's wisdom for our work, and there was an entire point in that sermon on integrity in our work. Clearly, there is a connection between our work and our money in this way. So, maybe a little brief on this, but what we do to earn money, that is the work we get paid for really matters. And it's actually really interesting for all of the points really in last week's sermon. There is actually kind of corresponding wisdom as it relates to money in particular. For example, wise work was marked by integrity we saw, and then when it comes to money, we also read Proverbs 19:1, "Better is a poor person who walks in integrity" than the one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Integrity applies to money as well. If you have to choose between having integrity and being rich in particular, choose integrity every time. The same is true in this parallel with diligence. Wise work was marked by diligence. uh, And when it comes to money, we also see there are financial implications to that kind of diligence. Chapter 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty but the hand of the diligent makes rich, right? So, so part of working with integrity means working diligently so that we actually deserve the money that we make as a result of our work. And yet, again, much like with our work, the opposite extreme of haste is also to be avoided here. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So as a general rule, when it comes to making money in the Proverbs, it's very clear, this is something good that we should all try to do. And yet it does come with a number of temptations for compromise. One of the primary temptations, of course, is just to make more money Faster. There's all kinds of compromises that can come as a result of that. Or even just to gain money that we don't actually have any right to, uh, regardless of how much money that is. And so I want us just to consider on this topic, do you have a clear conscience when it comes to the work that you do and the money you make doing it? If you provide a service, are you charging fairly for that service and then following through to provide that service to the full extent, to the best of your abilities, or are you tempted to sort of cut corners and, and round up here and there? If you work hourly, are you doing your best uh, to track your time with accuracy and to, to, to give your best effort when you are clocked in, or are you tempted to get a little bit loose with your effort and your hours? Uh, If your job affords you a certain amount of flexibility, are you committed to not taking advantage of that flexibility and making it appear as though you're working more than you really are? Uh, If you are in a position of influence, deciding other people's compensation, are you making those decisions out in the open uh, for the good of your employees' and having that in mind, or are you making those decisions in isolation to protect your interests and your margins? I want us to see if we are willing to compromise our integrity to make money. This reveals that we value money more than righteousness. And this is always foolish, and it will never end well. It is vital that we gain our money with integrity. First part one. And then next, it is also vital that we save our money for the future. Now, I want to kind of rip a band-aid off here. I think there might be a little bit of an elephant in the room, whatever other puns we could think of. But usually when we think of what the Bible has to say about money, we tend to think of all the cautions it has about idolizing money. And this is certainly true. We will get to this. Uh, money is a root of all kinds of evil. That's what the Bible does say in 1 Timothy. That's true. Uh, Christ himself teaches us that it is difficult even for a rich man to enter the kingdom. So there is no shortage of ways to be foolish by caring far too much about our money. And having lots of money does certainly open us up to many grave dangers, spiritually spiritually speaking. Uh, But in general, these warnings we see in the scriptures about money are first and foremost problems of the heart. Uh, Money can lead us to many temptations. It can distract us from the spiritual values of life. But too often, I fear, we make the mistake of concluding and therefore living as if money is almost sort of bad in and of itself. There's something just to be avoided in money. And therefore, we should automatically be skeptical of anyone who makes or has too much money. As a result, I do think many Christians are very confused about the wisdom of wealth and savings. See, the truth is, throughout the Proverbs, poverty and wealth are set before us in contrast over and over again, and almost every time when they are, wealth is actually being commended as a good and wise thing for us to actually pursue Meanwhile, while the Proverbs certainly do condemn the oppression of the poor, and they affirm that this is a very real and very evil thing, uh, they do also suggest that poverty, in many cases, is the result of foolishness. As we've already read, we've seen a slack hand leads to poverty. Uh, Proverbs 10.15 says it this way, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, the poverty... Of the poor is their ruin. Now you might think, well, that doesn't sit well with me. I mean, that's really uncomfortable. Uh, And I I can totally understand why that would be. And frankly, this is basically how wisdom tends to work. Uh, On any one topic, no one piece of wisdom could ever exhaust all that there is to be said on that particular topic. There are always multiple values existing in tension, and to emphasize one to the exclusion of the others almost always leads to folly and foolishness. In other words, yes, if all you believe about money is that it's wise to save it for the future, you will certainly be a fool with your money. And yet, on the other hand, if we moralize wealth as if it's just sinful to have it, and then we almost romanticize poverty as if it's only ever the result of unfair life circumstances, well, that will lead to just another kind of foolishness. We should have compassion for the poor. We should oppose those who oppress the poor. We're going to actually focus on this in a separate sermon coming soon. Um, But poverty is often the result of men in particular being very foolish with their work, their family lives, and their money. Meanwhile, it is not necessarily sinful to make or even save quite a bit of money. It's actually commended to us as wise in the book of Proverbs. Here's what it says, Proverbs thirteen twenty two, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. In other words, If we are wise with our money, we will die still having some to share, we pray, for generations. Uh, This is a good thing that will bless our children, that will honor God. Actually, we saw this in the book of Galatians, if you remember. The whole book is about this spiritual family, the family only God can create. And You remember even the theme, a rich theme throughout it is this inheritance that we see. God's kind of into this inheritance thing. Not to mention, notice, it is the fool in this Proverbs, chapter 13, whose wealth is laid up for the righteous, which means wherever his money winds up in the end, it will not go to his family. Because instead, other, more righteous people will get hold of it and presumably handle it with more wisdom than he has. It is wise to save money for the future, Uh, especially if you have children. If you do not have a plan to first make enough money that you can save a portion of it and then actually save that money and even develop wealth over time, I would encourage you to strongly consider stopping what you're doing in a financial perspective, get some wise and godly counsel. There are people in our church who would be a great help for that and make some of these adjustments, work hard to make money, save that money, invest it wisely, buy a home, but buy it with equity. So it's a wise decision that can actually lead to good things. But husbands in particular, I want to say, um, we do believe and, and, and teach and preach what the Bible consistently says, which is that part of the unique responsibility of a husband is to provide for the needs of his Family And I want to say uh, we don't have time to get into exactly what that means. Just, does that mean you should be the only breadwinner? I don't think so. I think there's plenty of room for people to, to share the work of uh, financial responsibility in the home. That we have, that's a big discussion. Uh, but this is pretty clear and pretty straightforward. Husbands, if your family is in a difficult financial position, that is your responsibility. That is your responsibility. And, and I will say... Um, If you're able to work, it should not ruin your family when you need a new car or when the furnace goes out. It should not ruin your family. Now, listen, you may not be able to afford a new car. That's fine. Uh, You may want to fix that furnace three, maybe four times before you replace the furnace. I feel you, okay? I get it. But if these expenses Will, which will come up, send our families into financial tailspin, it is not because of inflation. And it is not because we are wise enough to avoid the folly of riches. No, it's because we are not being wise with our money. If we resist this wisdom of saving money for the future, it can reveal, frankly, many things. Right, But at the very least, I think it reveals we are incredibly short-sighted and maybe not taking our responsibility to our families very seriously. Uh, We may even at some point become a burden to others in this way, rather than being able to bless them in the way the scriptures commend. So as a general rule, it is wise to save money for the future, and it is foolish to neglect it. But of course, one of the main reasons we struggle to save money has quite a bit to do with how easily we spend money. Which is why next, we also need to spend it with self-control. Spend money with self-control. This is a really simple fact, but I think it's so important for us to grasp and come to grips with. We will all desire more possessions and pleasures than we can wisely afford. That last couple words is very important. Wisely afford. What that means is you may have the money to actually afford them, and you still cannot wisely afford them. Right? Uh, if we do not realize this, and frankly, if we never think about this and we never talk about this, particularly in our marriages, we will be destined, I'm convinced, for foolishness. And it could be that the more money you make, the more important it is even to discuss this regularly. One of the main reasons money is so dangerous for us spiritually is because we can use it to indulge our insatiable passions, And not only can that lead to moral bankruptcy, which it often does, it can also lead to financial ruin. Here's what Proverbs 21, 17 says. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Presumably because he spends all of his wealth on that wine and that oil. He can't control. He is spending without control. We need to be very skeptical, not just of our money, per se, in general, but of our desires. Why do we want that money? Is it just to spend it on and to satisfy our many passions? Because if so, we either will not have it for long, we'll squander it, or maybe we actually will have it even, along with a whole lot of strife and agony. This is just Profoundly true of money, and it's proven itself true many, 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 many times in people's lives. Buying, consuming, and possessing more stuff will never lead to a life of wisdom and holiness. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17 say it this way, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is dinner of herbs. That's like the modern equivalent, like ramen noodles. Okay? It's, like it's just like a cheap meal. That's better where there is love than a fattened ox and hatred with it. This next part, pay careful attention. Again, whether we have the money to spend or not, when we spend without self control, it reveals that we value pleasure and possessions. More than the God who gives them. This is a real temptation. Uh, it can easily ruin a person's life. It happens all the time, especially today, especially in a capitalist, consumer-driven culture where the stability of our economy and the status of our families even depends on spending, in a way. Uh, we need to be aware of the grave danger that frivolous spending poses to our souls, whether or not it leads to to financial ruin. This also applies, uh, by the way, though, to spending money that is not ours, that is to borrowing or or debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Now, I don't think this means it is always foolish to go into debt. Uh, I think instead this is a description, though, of what really... Debt is and how it works, and therefore, why we need to be proceeding with caution in taking on debt. Uh, But especially today, with fairly stable markets, certainly compared to the ancient world, and very fair financial laws, it's not quite as risky to borrow money as it maybe once was, especially if we use the money we borrow with wisdom. Uh, not on discretionary uh, credit card consumer-type spending, and, of course, if the debt that we take on is well within our means to pay back. But this principle here is certainly true. When we borrow someone else's money and we spend someone else's money, uh, we are literally put in their debt, Uh, and we should never enter into that flippantly And the truth is we can easily do this. We can easily borrow money foolishly, especially if we lack the wisdom to spend it with self-control. And again, the real issue here is not just financial practice so much as it is sin and idolatry of the heart. So when we envision, when you envision a a prosperous future for your family and, and for yourself even, how much of it has to do with the house you'll live in, or the cars you could drive? Uh, how much of it has to do with the lavish vacations that you could put on Instagram or, or with the expensive hobbies that you will enjoy? Uh, buying a home, for example, is a great way to invest your money, it's a great way even to develop wealth over time. Um, but if you always need a bigger, more impressive home, Uh, Within a few years of buying the one you have, uh, if you're constantly looking at realtor.com and you're thinking, oh, that's cute, that's cute, oh, could never live in this one. There's no heated four-car garage in this one, right? Or maybe a little closer to home, there's no first-floor laundry in this one. There's no master bathroom in this one. First, if this is the condition of our heart, we will almost certainly be house poor before long as our appetite outgrows our budget. And even if it doesn't, again, it is best instead to grow content with the home that God has provided for us. These things are never just about dollars and cents. They are always about our souls. Well, I'll leave us with this one. Proverbs 21.20 Precious treasure and oil, listen carefully, are in a wise man's dwelling. They're there, okay? He can make that money. He can spend that money. Uh, He can even keep and enjoy some of the things that he does spend that money on. But here, a foolish man devours it. He buys it without self-control. We need to spend with self-control. And finally, we also need to give it away generously. It is not good for us to simply make and save and spend our money on ourselves and even on our families. Now, this is generally true when it comes to biblical wisdom on virtually any topic. You may have noticed this, but using our words to benefit ourselves is foolish. Assuming that we know everything we need to know and we'll never receive correction from another person is foolish. Foolish. Working in a way that serves us at the expense of other people is foolish, right? Meanwhile, speaking, correcting, and working for the good of others is generally wise. See, that wisdom sets our hearts free to serve God and to serve others, while folly makes us a slave to serve only ourselves. And this is true when it comes to money as well. When we're foolish with our money, we will see no need to be generous with it, and especially not to give it away to those who are in need. My money is, is my money, we will think. I need it. And if I give it away to others, I won't have it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Uh, seems like common sense, and yet it runs contrary to God's heart and God's wisdom. Wise people are generous with their money, and it does not jeopardize their well-being either. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty four: One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Do you see the paradox here? The problem with greed is that keeping all the money that we can never actually satisfies us. In fact, it may actually corrupt us. The more money that we keep for ourselves, the more money we will want to keep for ourselves until... Our love of money consumes every aspect of our lives and we become fools in many ways. Uh, but meanwhile, we'll probably tend to rationalize this by saying, what? I'm just being wise with my money. It's wise to save it for the future. I'm being a good steward. And this is why it is so important to have a transcendent spiritual perspective of our money. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says it this way. This is what we're doing when we're giving and being generous. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. See, on the flip side, when we are not generous with our money, I think it reveals that we have a much higher view of ourselves than the Lord seems to. We seem to think everything revolves around our needs and wants, and also that we have a much lower view of others than the Lord seems to, because he genuinely cares for those who are in need. I don't have it on the screen, but Proverbs 22.2, I believe, says, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's the rich and the poor, the meat together, the Lord is the maker of them both. If we're truly Christ-like with our money... We'll not just keep as much as possible and then divide people in our lives into substrata and groups based on their net worth. No, we will be eager to bless and to help others with our money. I'm convinced this may be one of even the most powerful tests of wisdom with money. In my experience, maybe you can make it with integrity. Check. Maybe you can save it for the future. Check. Maybe you can spend it with self-control even. Check. But can you give it away? Can you give it away? I have to say, in, in planting a church, <laughs> you step out, you do something that you hope someday would be able to provide for your family on day one, it can't. And, and in a way, when you, when you plant the church in so many ways, you become dependent on the kindness and the generosity of God's people, in particular in this area of finances. And it has been so incredible to see the generosity and giving that has come to mark and characterize our church. This is an incredible blessing Uh, And I do want to sincerely say from the bottom of my heart, in a very personal way, uh, thank you for that. Um, Our family really does uh, depend on it, and um, it is a true and humbling thing to be carried, in a sense, by a church family in that way. It means a great deal. On one hand, I I think for most of us, really, uh, a thanks and celebration are in order in this point. We're a very giving and generous church, Uh, By the way, it helps maybe to to remind you, I don't see who gives anything none of the elders do, partly because of the wisdom we see here and and what that would do in our hearts. So if you might expect a really big thanks someday, um, (laughs) you probably won't get that. But it's not because it's not because we're not grateful. Consider this that thanks, please. A lot of thanks and celebration to be had here in our church Um, In large part, it's why we're going to be able to close even on Tuesday on a a property. I'm grateful for it. A lot of thanks and celebration. On the other hand, I do imagine there are, of course, some of you who also need to be challenged in this way, Uh, especially if, as a member of our church, you're just not contributing in a financial way at all. This is not even about (laughs) even our church and its financial health so much as it is about your own heart your own soul. In our membership class, when we covered giving, um, I make it really clear. There's no set number that we expect or enforce anyone to give or a percentage of any kind. Uh, but instead, I do encourage us to think and look back on the Old Testament sacrificial system even, uh, and on the idea of why it was that they actually sacrificed the spotless lamb that was without blemish. Now, certainly, in one sense, the reason that's done is because of the purity Of that lamb and the purity that's needed in the sacrifice. But another thing is in in an agrarian society that makes its living on crops and livestock, there is also a real sense in which that is the best and the most valuable lamb. And so I think this does lead to a real principle for us here in giving that let's give to the point where we actually feel it. Uh, Let's give to the extent where we will be thinking in our in our minds, my life would actually seem easier. If I did not give this much, I think that's part of the point. I think this is a helpful guide, a guiding principle in our giving and generosity. Frankly, I think this is what makes giving an act of faith and an act of worship because we're able to say, God, I'm sincerely not trusting in this money. I am trusting instead in you. Which brings us to our final and by far most important point this morning. The one thing we should never do with our money, namely, never trust in money. Never trust in money. Uh, Of all the things our money habits could reveal about our hearts, this is clearly most important. Uh, More than anything else, how we handle money reveals what we trust in and what we rely on to be made whole. In each of us, There is a deep, pervasive sense that we are not enough, and we are right. If we were held by God to account for our lives, it would not go well. All of us would fall short. Now, how honest we are about this sense and what we do with this sense is another thing, but it is real, and it is there. And for that reason, again, if we are honest, we will be compelled to trust in something to make up for what is lacking in us spiritually. This is part of the human condition. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They eat of the fruit he says not to in order to become like him. They're filled with shame. They run and they grab what? A fig leaf to cover themselves. They needed to trust in something they needed to rely on something to cover up their true spiritual reality. And of all the things that we can rely on to make up for what is lacking in us, money is near the top of the list. We'd all be walking around with some, some dollar bills instead, instead of fig leaves. And some people are walking around like that. Money can give us the impression that we can own and rule over people, places, situations. It makes us feel powerful, in control, safe, worthy of admiration. And therefore, if you are looking for something to trust in, it may seem like a pretty good option. Uh, We may come to think even ironically, well, if something tragic happens in my life. Well, thank God I have all this money. Uh, or worse, we may think, oh, you say, I have some kind of a spiritual deficit? Look, look at all the value that I've accumulated in my life. Look at my bank account. L- look at my investments. Look at the property I own. Look at my wealth. How can a person who has this much be at some kind of a spiritual deficit oh, quite easily? Quite easily is the answer. All of our wealth and assets are not necessarily spiritual assets. If we trust in them in particular, they actually become deadly liabilities. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says it this way. If you are the richest person in this room, whoever you are, listen carefully to this. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. But the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Praise God. If we if we ever come across or are able to earn a large sum of money someday, which happens, we should receive that very suspiciously. Uh, With thankful hearts, yes. Assuming we've gained it with integrity, this is an incredible blessing from God. We should. Give him thanks and praise for it, but also we should receive it with skeptical, discerning hearts that know the wicked deception of our sin. When that check clears, we need to be thinking and we need to be praying, God, I will want to trust in this money in ways that will ruin me. Having this money will tempt me to to act and live and think as if I am the God of my life. I am not. If there is one thing you learn today about money, let it be this. Don't trust in it. No matter how much you make, it will never fill and make up for what is lacking in you. If you worship it in this way, it will corrupt you in all kinds of dark and spiritual ways. Not to mention, money, it's just fleeting. It's fleeting. It can come and it can go in ways we can't always control. Proverbs 23, verses 4 to 5 say this. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Let it go, right? Leave it be from time to time. Don't cling to it at all costs. When your eyes light on it, In other words, when it becomes your deepest longing, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings and flying like an eagle toward heaven and some of you are thinking, amen. (laughs) All right, you've been there. You've experienced that. Uh, Some of you are doing very well with money. How would you do if you lost it all? Whether or not You do ever lose it all. Frankly, that may be one of the most important questions you seriously ask and consider this morning. How would you do without your money? Some of you are agonizing over the money you don't have. I want to ask, do you really need it as badly as you seem to think? Like the Apostle Paul, what would it look like for all of us to grow content both in plenty and in want? That's a valuable thing. Church, when we stand before God vulnerable and naked, with no way of hiding our true spiritual condition, when everything our money habits reveals about our hearts is laid bare before God, will we be ashamed of the extent to which our happiness and our peace depend on money? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world, true spiritual value often does not line up with earthly monetary value. So important to see and understand this. True, True spiritual value often does not line up With earthly monetary value, what seems incredibly valuable in this life, things like savings, investments, properties, possessions, in the eyes of God are, are really not all that valuable. They are frankly going to burn up someday. Therefore, in this life, if we do value these things, and especially money above most, we will be spiritually poor, even if we are filthy rich. And this here, the distinction between spiritual value and monetary value is one of the primary themes that we see in the Proverbs as we consider what it has to say about money. The Proverbs are reminding us over and over of the things that are more valuable than money. And without fail, um, they're almost always in things of of invisible spiritual value. Here are a few good examples. First, this is going to be kind of rapid fire. But Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor or good repute is better than silver or gold. Next, Proverbs eleven, four. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. See that? On judgment day, we will see righteousness is far more valuable than riches. Proverbs eleven, sixteen, a gracious woman gets honor and violent men get riches. Presumably without the honor. Right? That's the point of the proverb. The point is graciousness is more valuable even than riches. Proverbs sixteen sixteen. How much better to get wisdom than gold to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Wisdom and understanding are more valuable than money. Proverbs 16, 19, it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. A humble, lowly heart is more valuable than money. And finally, Proverbs twenty eight twenty five. a greedy man stirs up strife. His greed does not go well, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Faith, church, faith, humble, needy, dependence, true reliance on the Lord of all things is far more precious than riches. Church, it is these things. It is a good name. It is good repute. It is righteousness, graciousness, wisdom, understanding, a lowly, humble spirit, trusting in the Lord. It is these things that are of real, enduring, and even eternal value. And the way we get them is by trusting in Christ and by fearing the Lord above all else. So, when it, when it comes to money, would this be our prayer? Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9 says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. First, remove far from me falsehood and lying, and also, give me neither poverty nor riches. And listen carefully feed me with food that is needful for me, he says, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. You see this. There is folly in riches. There is folly in poverty. And let us pray this morning that our faith and trust in Christ will guard us from both. If someone assessed your innermost values simply based on the way you handle money, what would they assume you value most? This week I was delightfully intrigued as it kind of dawned on me, I realized that in Colossians 2, this passage we're reading each week before the sermons, that Paul says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If there is one question we need to consider today to gauge our wisdom with money, it is this, is Christ, the treasure we value most? Is he really? If our answer to that question is yes, it will radically change the way we approach our money. Church, let's earn it with integrity. Let's save it for the future. Let's spend it with self control. Let's give it away generously. And let's trust in Christ and Christ alone so that we can discover this far greater hidden treasure of his infinite wisdom.